0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, christianquestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. There is no healer like the Lord our maker. There is no equal to the King of
1: kings.
2: Henry Miller once said, True strength lies in submission, which permits one to dedicate his life through devotion to something beyond himself. Good evening, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different
1: perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things—godly principles, family values, honest dialogue always done in a politically free zone.
2: Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. It is a call-in format, and we happen to be caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. What's on the table on this fine Monday night?
1: Well, Rick, our subject is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. And, Rick, our theme text is found in First Kings Chapter 19, verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire... But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing.
2: So, Jonathan, two weeks ago, we talked about Elijah and the incredible courage he had toward accomplishing God's will. We saw him prophesy, take responsibility, wait, perform miracles, wait some more, appear before his greatest enemy, and overwhelmingly conquer in a challenge to prove that God is in fact God overall sounds pretty awesome it does the next thing we knew elijah was running for his life what <laughs> yeah i know it's it's just <laughs> such a strange story he was afraid and he was feeling alone turns out that all his heroics got him was more threats on his life so what happens to that courageous prophet of god now he still must fight But in a different way, for this next stage of his life, in this next stage of his life, God is going to teach him submission. Submission. Now, it does not sound like a characteristic that belongs with courage. No, it doesn't, Rick. They sound like they're completely opposite. You're right. But as we will see, and and pay really close attention to this, as we will see, courage will burn you without submission. And submission will burden you without courage. This is one of the core lessons of the life of Elijah. Right there, that's it. Courage will burn you without submission, and submission will burden you without courage. That's what we're going to see in the life of Elijah in this next phase of his life uh, this evening. So, and Rick,
1: as Christians— We want to have courage to do God's will in any way that he asks us to or leads us to. Right. But I can understand submission and humility is a requisite to have courage. I can see that.
2: And so the thing we need to learn, the thing we need to understand, the thing we need to get our arms around is, okay, submission to what and submission how and submission why and submission when. All of those are the questions that are going to come into play as we look at uh, this next stage of Elijah's life. So submission follows courage in Elijah's life so he can truly learn humility, because Elijah's courage was off-the-charts heroic. It was. I mean, (laughs) the things he did and the stand he took to confront the king and the prophets of Baal were Samson-like in his strength. They were Moses-like in their leadership and David-like in their intensity. I mean, let's think about that for a minute, Jonathan. The, the, The kinds of things he did, the length he went out on a limb was something that you just don't see. You're right. This one man stood against 450 prophets of Baal. And the thing that we don't think about too often is there were another 450 prophets of Asherah there as well. That's right. You had King Ahab. And you had many from the nation all surrounding and watching. So you have one against the masses. And he, without flinching, does the will of God in such a powerful and miraculous way. I mean, off the charts, heroic. Elijah single-handedly stood and fought to save the nation of Israel. The danger, now here's the thing. The danger of such extraordinary accomplishment is that we believe? Um, is, is that um, we believe? Can, can we? Can, it can begin to believe that we are the source.
1: Ah, uh, that is tricky. That that that's kind of prideful, isn't it? Right,
2: right. So here's one of the things we need to be alert to, right as we get started with this discussion on submission. Ego. I'm, I'm sorry. Courage. Courage can bring ego. Ah. Because when you think that about sense. those. That makes- those who act with great courage can really feel pretty full of themselves after such actions. Mm-hmm. Submission can bring cowering because submission, and you were, you were saying to me before, before we started tonight about submission and how people look at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, it's a weakness. Right. Uh, it's, people look at it like, it, you know, humility, same thing. Uh, it's a weakness, and you, you have no backbone I- right. if you're submissive. So you can see that great courage can, can, has the
2: danger of opening up the door of ego, but submission has the, the door of opening up cowering and a sense of weakness, neither w- which is true if we are properly courageous and properly submissive. So that, those are the things we want to go through in the story of Elijah for tonight, Uh, We're going to focus on the next stage of his life. There was lots of different kinds of activities and actions that that were very, very different from the first stage of his life, which was built around the drought, and it was built around uh, uh, the—it was a three-year drought and the facing off with the prophets of Baal.
1: You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255, or contact us and leave us a question or leave us a message at christianquestions.com.
2: So Jonathan, let's go back to, la- to to the story from two weeks ago and just recite where we left off. Okay, so this, this is just for a few minutes will be a review of the last episode. We had the last lesson of courage last week. It was courage lesson number 13. What
1: was that? Courage is not perfect and sometimes falls prey to fear.
2: And we saw that in the story of Elijah, because after he worked these incredible miracles on the behalf of, of standing for God, um, here's what happened. First Kings 19, uh, verses 1 to 3.
1: Now, King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there.
2: So Elijah
1: performed these
2: great miracles, took out the prophets of Baal, and Ahab reports to Jezebel, and she, remember, is a pagan queen of the of the Jew Ahab, and her response is, oh, is that what he did? Well, I swear to you, by tomorrow, if I don't do to him what he did to them, you know, may the gods do to me worse. And as horrible and heinous as the thoughts and actions of, uh, of Jezebel were, she really was a woman who tried to keep her word.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and when her word was deeply and darkly evil even more so so uh um, elijah ran for his life so while this part of elijah's experience was a lesson in courage it also served as a lesson in submission see by god's strength and through elijah's hand god had shown his sovereignty
1: yeah there's no doubt
2: right right because the drought was over the prophets of baal were dead how because god made that happen so now you run for your life why here is where we begin our submission lessons, and here's where we begin to break new
1: territory. Jonathan, submission
2: lesson number one is what?
1: Submission's power may be an unseen necessity when we have an emotional and pressing need for an answer to the question why. All right, now we're going to have to explain that a
2: little bit. Submission. First of all, that phrase, submission's power, you're saying, wait
1: a minute. Yeah, it just doesn't (laughs) sound like it goes together. Right,
2: it doesn't seem like it fits. Submission's power. Folks, what we're going to discover tonight in the story of Elijah is submission wields incredible power. But it's a different kind of power than we're used to. And that's what we're going to see unfold in the life of Elijah. So submission's power may be a necessity that we don't know is a necessity because we might have an emotional pressing need to answer the question why. I mean, Elijah is running away for his life. Do you think he was expecting that to be the end result of all of the work that he did for God? No way. (laughs) He was expecting that Israel would come back to God after this incredible show of God's power and God's sovereignty. He thought, hey, look, God is God. Let's, let's rush back to him. But nothing seemed to change. So as we talk about submission, we're going to be going to some soundbites and talking about integrity as well. Because, Jonathan, integrity and submission are really closely related. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. Mm-hmm. And really what you have to submit to to have integrity is you have to submit to the righteousness You have to submit to the right thing you have to submit to something bigger than you that's what integrity truly is it is submission so we're going to be going to a ted talk by eric rainey it's called building integrity keeping promises and uh, he's going to introduce this idea uh, as integrity as um, as our
3: compass this speech is not about climbing a mountain overcoming cancer winning a gold medal, or dodging bullets on the battlefield. It's about something that goes on inside our mind that's very subtle, but outside has a profound effect on how people perceive you. Each day we make hundreds of decisions, and some of those decisions are to do with commitment. Oh, by the way, I was down on the, in London on the Piccadilly line, and I was thundering through the tunnel, and there was a woman reading a book opposite me. I kid you not, the title of this book was... Commitment. Men can't even spell it. <laughs> but seriously, we make loads of decisions based on commitment, agreements, and promises. But when we, make, when we break our promises, what happens is our internal compass spins around and we lose direction. So that people look at you and go, he's lost his integrity. She hasn't got any integrity. This is a leadership issue. And we're all involved because it's self-leadership that I'm talking about.
2: And, and that will come to play in a really, really big way as we go through this program, the idea of self-leadership and what that means, because we have to be able to lead ourselves. In other words, like it's, it's, you say, well, wait, you're not following God's lead? Of course you are. But you have to make the decisions internally to do the will of God rather than your own. So there's that, there's that self-leadership that's involved, and that's really the, the, the part about integrity that's so important.
1: And, Rick, when you talk about commitment and I hear uh, your focus, it has to do with marriage. Yeah. (laughs) Marriage isn't about love, it's about commitment. Yeah. I don't know how many times you've drilled that into not only my brain, but lots of people's brains. Anybody who will (laughs) listen.
2: Well, and it's true. And actually, next week we're going to be talking about love and marriage. You know, it's our Valentine's Day program. And so you're going to hear that all over again nice but that's the truth if you want success at anything in life it requires raw hard clear commitment and that's what actually that's what submission truly is it is allowing whatever it is you're committing to to run you and that's submission and we're going to see how that unfolds in the life of elijah so the first lesson was you know Submission's power is, is an unseen necessity when we have an emotional need for the answer why. Elijah's running away for his life, and you, you know that he's utterly confused. Like, why am I running? I shouldn't be running. I should be standing. I should be rejoicing in the overruling of God. But no, I'm, I'm running from my life again. Again, I'm running from my life. What is going on here? So this this huge question, and that brings us to submission lesson
1: number two. Submission's power may become apparent when our self-doubt overrides our spiritual confidence. So
2: it's an unseen necessity, submission's power, when we're running and we just have no idea. Next, when our self-doubt overrides our spiritual confidence, now submission's power becomes apparent. Now we can say, oh, wait a minute, something's awry, something's askew, something's out of order. I have to fix something here. So... Let's take a look at what happened to Elijah to draw this second lesson out of submission's power becoming apparent when our self-doubt overrides our spiritual confidence. That's what happened to Elijah. Let's go to 1 Kings 19,
1: 4-8. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So, that's a pretty dramatic statement for him to make.
2: He sits down under this tree and he prays. And his prayer is, Lord, take my life. It's just, I'm, I failed. I have utterly failed. I am no better than any other prophet who tried to turn Israel and didn't. But this time I thought we had them. There were miracles. There was the there was the banishment of the prophets of Baal. There was the drought going away. I mean, there were all these things. I failed. I don't. I, I'm. Life is just not worth it anymore. That's how deep his depression was.
1: Emotionally, he was so depressed. Yeah. And distraught. He was. He was broken. He was absolutely
2: broken at this point. So what does he do? Verses uh, five to six.
1: And he laid down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold. There was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. So an angel
2: comes to him, and and right here you see a source of potential spiritual confidence.
1: Yes, this is a boost.
2: Yes, it is. So and, and you see, it's an angel. It's a messenger of God. And he, the messenger is bringing him sustenance. And he's saying, he's giving him instructions. So he follows the instruction, then he lays down again. So as big of a boost as it could have been, it wasn't as big of a boost as it should have been. So what happens next?
1: And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So it took a
2: second time to arouse him out of his lethargy to get him up to go someplace. And it says he goes to Mount Horeb. We're going to discuss that in the next segment. But here's the thing, Jonathan. Elijah was emotionally broken, but he was still obedient. We... When we don't know the answer, when we're feeling broken, the question is, are we still obedient to take the sustenance supplied to us and to continue? Now, notice it took two tries for Elijah to get up and go. Yes. And remember the lesson of three? You know, we, were talk-, we talk about is that? A
1: complete, is a complete number.
2: Yeah, stay tuned for the third, the third approach on, on this because I think it, it ends up being really important. But the point here, Jonathan... Is really simple. Elijah was obedient even though he felt like he was broken. Even though he felt like he didn't know what to do or how to do it, he simply followed instructions.
1: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. Coming up, it's great to know about submission, but how can we be guided by it? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985 for all. You can now message us on your smartphone app during the program, and we'll try to share your comment on air.
2: So, Jonathan, as we we go through this story of Elijah and the story of the power of submission— he listens to the angel after the second time, and he gets up and he says, and he goes on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. So, you know, one of the things you think of, wow, it was a long journey to Horeb. For sure. Well, but let's take a look at uh, at what Matthew Poole says about that particular journey.
1: Unto Horeb. He, wanted, he wandered hither and thither for 40 days till at last he came to Horeb, which in the direct road, was not above three or four days' journey. So
2: he goes to Horeb where he's told to go, but you can tell he's off. He's wandering. And he's, there's this fasting and praying going on during this 40 day period of time. And, and it, I think there's a great lesson here because I think our self doubt can at times cause us to wander. And God will often allow that wandering to complete its course and its purpose. And the course and purpose is our purification and preparation to receive God's direction because that's what was going to happen. Elijah at Mount Horeb was going to receive God's direction. He needed to be ready to do that and he wasn't. So it took 40 days.
1: So it took 36 more days than it should have. Right,
2: right. (laughs) But now, now here's the interesting thing. Who else fasted and prayed for 40 days.
1: Our Lord Jesus.
2: That's right. And Moses. That's right. So, and Moses was at Mount Horeb when he did that.
1: Interesting.
2: And, you know, one of the interesting sidelights of this that we're going to get into in our next program is that when you think about it, the three individuals who fasted and prayed for 40 days were the three individuals who appeared in the vision of the Mount of Transfiguration.
1: Oh, that is cool.
2: So you got to say, coming up in a few weeks, (laughs) the the, (laughs) the third part of the story of Elijah, we're going to talk about that in some detail. But see, Moses, Jesus, you're right, he fasted and prayed because he was ready to receive the mission that he came to earth to to accomplish and ready to do it. Moses fasted and prayed uh, because he was ready to receive the law. Elijah needed the same time so he could receive God's
1: guidance. This brings us to Submission Lesson number 3. Submission's power can begin to guide us when we are ready to fully express our need for an answer to our why, which is which so confounds us.
2: Elijah was confused at this point. He did not understand why those incredible things that God had prepared did not work. And in his mind, he was an utter and total failure. So he is going through this wandering, and I think he's probably wrestling with his own thinking, with his own mind, saying, I don't get it. I thought I did what God told me to do. I, I followed everything he said. I, was, I, was, I tried to be so diligent. How did I get this wrong? And so he finally, after 40 days of, of hashing this over before God in his mind, he comes to Mount Horeb. Let's go to First Kings 19, 9 to 12.
1: Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Now, and he th- <laughs> now, 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 now. <laughs> like, wait, well, wait. <laughs> didn't you tell me to come here?
2: <laughs> you you wonder what would have gone through his head, but see, his answer tells you; it tells you unequivocally what was going through his head, and this was his dilemma. This was his incredible, difficult situation that he was trying to come to grips with. What's
1: Elijah's answer? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, tore down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he's telling the the, the Lord exactly
2: what's on his mind he said I did what I was supposed to but they're seeking my life to take it away this does not add up in Elijah's mind it made no sense to be in this situation so um, what does the voice of the Lord say to him
1: so he said go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains And breaking it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. So it also reminds us of when Moses was up on the mountain
2: and God passed by. And remember, and, and Moses was able to see the hinder parts of God's glory? Yes. Kind of similar, but very, very different in some ways. Um, here, though, the message is God's power was not in, this, in the calamitous power that Elijah's, Elijah witnessed. Because, first of all, there was this great wind that was so strong, it was breaking rocks, and, it was, and, and, and things were falling apart in the power of this wind. But God was not in that wind. And perhaps Elijah thought, well, this must be the presence of God because it's so incredibly powerful, because that's what Elijah had previously experienced. But it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. The earthquake literally is shaking up the entire environment. And you're thinking, well, surely God would be in the earthquake to shake up Israel. But God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But it says, the Lord was not
1: in the fire. And hey, in the miracle, God used fire to consume the sacrifice. Yes. But in this case, he wasn't a part of it. So God is showing him something bigger, something more
2: powerful than the wind, something more powerful than the earthquake, and something more powerful than the fire. He's showing him the power of, according to the Hebrew, that phrase is the sound of gentle stillness. That's what he's showing him the power of the sound of gentle stillness, okay, so you see something that is um different that's odd. You say, "Wait a minute, I was just part of one of the greatest greatest uh displays of power humankind has ever seen in the in the absorption of those sacrifices and remember jonathan the the, the stones of the altar and the sand were all burned up by the fire that's right I mean. And, and he's, But God is not in those things. He's, God is sending Elijah a message. And he's saying to him, this conclusion is not what you think, nor when you think, nor how you think. This is my way. You need to hear that gentle stillness to be able to get a hold of that. So, you know, Jonathan's really a powerful, powerful thing, and I believe that we do have a call. So, one second here, and welcome to Christian Questions. Uh, I believe we have Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to the program. Thank you. Okay, Julius, are you there? Julius? All right, I'm not hearing you, Julius. All right, Julius, we're going to ask you to try again. I don't know what happened, but we're not hearing you here. So give us another try, okay? Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Jonathan. I don't know what happened. No problem. Okay, so we, we've got this this incredible power going on, and God is essentially saying, I'm not in all of that. It's something different. You need to see at a higher level. You need to see the bigger picture, and God is in the sound of gentle stillness. This brings us to submission lesson number four. What is that?
1: Submission's power is evidenced when once we have spoken our need, we can hear the quietness of God's answer and his direction for our future.
2: See, Jonathan, in, in a lot of Christian circles, we don't look to hear the quietness of God's answer. We want the bells, we want the whistles, we want the earth shaking, we want the fireworks, we want all of the big stuff to show us God's answer. When we have finally come to a point of really letting our hearts pour out before God with what is bothering us, this is what submission is, then we can now be open to begin to hear the quietness of his answer. And his answer is almost always in quietness. So in that quietness, because you have to listen carefully, that's where we can begin to get the direction for our future. That's where Elijah could now begin to put things in perspective. So Elijah realizes that God is not in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but in the sound of gentle stillness. So what does Elijah do? This is kind of an odd thing that he does. 1 Kings 19, 13 to 16.
1: And it came about when Elijah heard it, then he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?"
2: So, so again, you have this voice coming and asking the exact same question. And, and this this is a voice. So we we're assuming that this is this is an angel, and this is the the third angelic question or the third angelic response. To Elijah, and so what does he say? He 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 now knows that God is in the stillness and in the quietness, and he wrapped his face in the mantle. And you know, his mantle was a symbol of his power.
1: And his mantle was his cloak, his robe. Is right. that correct? Yes,
2: Chris? right, right. The outer, the outer garment. And, okay. And it's through that mantle that a lot of miracles we will see uh, end up being performed. And so he wraps his face in it as, as if to say, "Okay, the, the the power of God is all around me." I'm, I, you know what am I supposed to do? And then this voice says, what are you doing here? So how does he answer?
1: Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed the prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away.
2: So what's different? It's the exact same answer. But now, now, Jonathan... Elijah's ready to listen. Because now he knows what to listen for. It's the stillness. It's the quietness. It's that gentle guidance and direction of God's will. So what happens next?
1: And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Saphath, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. So
2: he is now given very specific, clear, undeniable directions, and these directions are um, showing him that he's got a different kind of a mission now. Remember, now his mission up to this point was to to proclaim doom, and destruction, and drought and then to bring down the prophets of baal it was all very uh very much standing up against but now his mission is anointing and his mission is anointing and when you are anointing what you're doing is you're setting someone a- a- apart for a very very specific sanctified godly purpose so god reveals not only a new direction in israel but in amram which uh, aram rather which is syria As well. So Elijah's efforts were not in vain as he thought. See, because by saying that, okay, these anointings are to happen, what God was saying is now, Elijah, watch chapter two. Watch what happens next. Because the story is not over like you thought. That was the beginning, that was the opening salvo in this battle. Here's the next step. See, that's an incredible lesson for submission. Um, His his previous efforts were not in vain. They were instead stepping stones in God's plan.
1: And Rick, now he doesn't feel alone. Because look, there are three others that are in this fight with him.
2: So he now, because he's ready to listen— He was so depressed, he wasn't ready to listen. And God had to bring him to a different place, had to show him different things, had to allow 40 days of preparedness to come over him, and had to show him where his true power came from. And now he's ready to listen. So this is a very, very, very uh, inspirational moment in the life of Elijah that we always overlook because we're always looking for the big things. This was big. Because now he's beginning to get his feet under him again and to be able to see a direction to walk as he submits to the will of God. So with that, let's go now to um, soundbite again on, uh, from Building Integrity, Keeping Promises uh, by uh, Eric Rainey. And again, he's talking about uh, integrity and we're took- looking at integrity as, the, um, as, as a basis for our submission
3: from world leaders down to housewives from CEOs to school children we need to learn how to keep our word because when we do our integrity grows when we make agreements we we do it with the best intention we believe fully that we're going to fulfill that agreement and then life gets in the way. Marianne Williamson once wrote, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give permission for other people to do the same. But just how exactly are we supposed to let our light shine? I believe one way is through integrity. And, you know,
2: we, we, we as Christians talk about that phrase, you know, letting our light shine frequently. And it's, it's such an important phrase for us to be able to look at uh, in, terms of, in terms of our lives. And Elijah had to let his light shine. and He had to be ready to let his light shine. So um, that's where he's, he's trying to go. So let's go now to submission lesson uh, number five.
1: Submission's powers gain strength when we realize that the personal pres- Perceptions we focused upon did not reflect the bigness of God's reality. All right, Jonathan, we're going to
2: try that phone call again. So so I think we have have Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions.
3: Thank you, Rick. Good evening, Jonathan. Also, good evening to you both.
2: Oh, man. Julius, what happened to you? Jonathan you can't hear anything can you?
1: Uh I can hear you.
2: Okay. Julius, I don't know. You keep getting cut off. I I don't know if it has to do with something uh to do with the um, um connections because I'm I'm you know doing stuff with getting sound bites ready and all of that. So uh I I apologize Julius but I I don't know what happened to you. <laughs> Jeez. We have to submit to this Jonathan because it's you know it's what's happening. Okay. <laughs> so um Let's get back to this now, Submission Lesson 5. Submission's power gains strength when we realize that the personal perceptions we focused on did not reflect the bigness of God's reality. And that's the thing. We think we know the answers based on the experiences. But what this is telling us is, uh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Something's bigger. Something's different. Something's better. Something's stronger. Something is, is uh, very, very... Um, contrary to what you think it is or think it should be so first kings 19 17 to 19
1: and it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of hazel jehu shall put to death and the one who escapes from the sword of jehu elisha shall put to death yet i will leave seven thousand in israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him So he departed from there and found Elisha while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. So
2: now, Jonathan, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah is no longer alone. He now has a mission. He now has those who are with him. And so on top of New Digression, there is a newly revealed reality of thousands of people who are God's people. Now, they were there all along, but Elijah just didn't know about them. He wasn't ready to hear about them, but now he is. And so now we can see how his life is going to be developing into a very different direction.
1: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. Coming up, so is King Ahab's history now that there is another king anointed, that's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at christianquestions.com.
2: So now as we continue to look at the life of Elijah, he now... um he, he now has the ability to uh, not be alone. He has the ability to, to not be um, uh, feeling that everything is left up to him. And we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty, so uh, I'm going to have to uh, just do something else here with Jonathan, and I've got to get him back online. But until we do that, what happens next is after a series of battles— uh, in which King Ahab is actually victorious, and you think about it, well, why would Ahab be victorious? Now these battles are won not because of Ahab, but these battles are won because of God, because of His own name's sake. He's he's already put himself in a place of being sovereign, and he's showing his sovereignty in spite of Ahab. After these battles are won, Ahab's true character comes out again, and he comes out and he makes compromises with the enemy, which is, of course, what you'd expect from somebody who's just just deeply evil. When these things are revealed, the glory of his victories are all sullied, and now he's uh, he's shown to be not the powerful leader that he wanted to be, and here's how Ahab responds to this, you know, being told that you, you've ruined everything because of your pride and your arrogance and your idolatry. 1 Kings 20, 43.
1: So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and vexed and came to Samaria. So he went to his house, and he's depressed. Now, Rick, compromise is kind of the opposite of integrity.
2: It is. Now, sometimes compromise is the epitome of integrity. Okay. But there are many times where compromise, you're right, is the opposite of integrity because when it comes to principles— we should not be compromising those kinds of things. And you know, we talked about the difference in, in the, the two um, uh, ways of looking at compromise uh, several weeks ago when we talked about the conference in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. But let, let's go back to, the, um, to the, uh, the TED Talk by Eric Rainey, Building Integrity and Keeping Promises. This is a really powerful story about having integrity in a way that you might not think, uh, you, you might say, well, in this case, maybe you know it's okay not to. Listen, listen to the story, it's a little bit long, but very, very worth it.
3: When we walk into a room, we flick the switch, and it moves the room from darkness to light. It takes one second, but it changes everything. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we had a switch in our heart It moved us from darkness to light. Guess what? We do. It's called integrity. And one small part of integrity is when we do what we say we're going to do, and we fulfill our word, our light shines. And when we break our promises, our light goes out. I heard a story about a little girl named Jessie. She loved words. And her father promised her that he would come home early one evening, and they would play Scrabble. She put her chair by the door on Friday evening, and she waited, and she waited. Hours later, her father came through the door full of apologies about how he had to stay late at the office, and he couldn't possibly play Scrabble. It was just too late. Jessie was undaunted. She said, Daddy, how much money do you make? He said, That's not none of your business, Jessie. She said, No, really, I really want to know. He said, Well, if you must know, I make 20 pounds an hour." She said, "'Good. Can I borrow four pounds?' He said, "'Certainly not.'" So she went upstairs feeling rather dejected. Then feeling guilty, he went upstairs a little bit later, and he said, "'I'm sorry, honey. I was a bit hard on you earlier. Here's the four pounds you wanted to borrow.'" "'Oh, thanks, Daddy.'" She reached over and pulled a jar of coins and started counting furiously. "'I'm confused. Why did you ask for four pounds when you had so much money in the first place?' said, because I didn't think I had enough, and now I do. Daddy, here's 20 pounds. Can I buy an hour of your time? Ouch. (laughs) Oh,
1: wow.
2: And that is such a powerful story because the imagery is so vivid of a child wanting to have their father fulfill what that father said he would do. And because she was undaunted... And she, she wanted his time more than anything, and so she was going to find a way. And he, he had to learn the lesson of keeping his word. Because when we speak it, it should be so. So what a, what a great lesson. And again, Jonathan, that's submission. That's submission to that which is most important. And sometimes we forget, and we rationalize, and we get away from it, and then we don't submit to it, and then we begin to fall apart. So now, Back to the story of Elijah. Submission lesson number six is what?
1: Submission's power will, as we employ it, produce a dramatic contrast with those who ignore it. Okay. Rick, that's pure poetry. How do you come (laughs) up with this stuff? (laughs) You know,
2: I I honestly don't know, to tell you the truth. It just (laughs) happens. But you know what? You know, just the story of Jesse and words, you know? Yes. I love words. I love the sound of them. I love, I love how they work together. And for me, words are like a symphony. And that's how it you happens. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it, really is, it really is a very cool thing. But anyway, so here's the thing. The power of submission, once we employ that power, there is a dramatic contrast with those who ignore that power. We're going to see that in Elijah's life right now and this is a crazy story when you ask me this is a this is a story this is something that should never ever have had to happen but it shows you the corruption that had taken ahab and jezebel first kings chapter 21 verses 1 through 7.
1: now it came about after these things that Naboth, the jezreelite had a vineyard which was in jezreel beside the palace of ahab king of samaria and Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is close beside my house. And I will give you a better vineyard than it is in its place, if you like. Or I'll give you the price of it in money.
2: So Ahab decides that he likes Naboth's vineyard, and he wants it for his own. So he goes out, and he begins to reason with them, saying, Hey, look... It's right next door. I want a vegetable garden. I'll buy it from you or I'll give you even, an even better vineyard. Which one do you want? Now look, at, at that point, it's, a, it's an honest or, uh, offer given, sure. given to somebody else who has a possession. So what's Na, uh, Naboth's response?
1: But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food.
2: All right, now there's several things in this section of scripture. First of all, Naboth's response is very profound. He said, Lord forbid that I should give to you the inheritance of my fathers. See, one thing that Ahab wasn't thinking about was the sacredness of the land on which they lived. And when God, remember, when God put Israel into the land, he broke up the land by tribes and gave them each their inheritance. And so Naboth's response is, this is a sacred inheritance.
1: This is precious to me.
2: Right. And it's precious to me because it was sacred from God. So he's got this sense of sacredness to the land, like you can give me a better vineyard, but I don't want a better vineyard. I want what God gave to me. And I think that that's a a great, great lesson. So now Ahab, if he was a reasonable man, would have said, okay, I get it. Can I double the price? And Naboth would have said no. Can I triple the price? And Naboth would have said no. Okay, but no, Ahab is not a reasonable man. What does he
1: do? But Jezebel, his wife came in and said to him, How is it that your spirit is sullen, and that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard.
2: Okay, now stop right there for a second, Jonathan, because he's like, But Ma... He wouldn't give it to... I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds, Grow
1: up, king. <laughs> yeah,
2: it sounds like a little kid saying, I couldn't get my way and I'm not going to eat. I'm going to pout. I'm going to fold my arms and you can't make me be happy. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there with this, with, this, with, this, with this depression and this angst and this anxiety. And he's telling his wife because she obviously sees it. And he's saying, I couldn't get my way. So now Jezebel. Now Jezebel... Is evil. Oh yes. What does she say she's going to do?
1: And Jezebel's wife said to him, "Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite." Okay,
2: so she says not to worry, husband. I've I'll got it. I'll take care of it, That's dear. That's right. I, yeah, <laughs> and she certainly will take care of it. But you, you, you see, the utter lack of respect for others' rights. The lack of respect for the land and the lack of respect for righteousness. It's resounding, this lack of respect. It's everywhere. It permeates Ahab and Jezebel. And when Ahab is not, uh, doesn't have the, the, the fortitude to stand up for his evil way, but just wants to sulk about it, his wife Jezebel comes swooping in and says, don't worry, I'll get that vineyard for you.
1: Wasn't this what God was warning the Israelites about, about having kings in the first place, when he set up judges for them? Right.
2: He said, they're going to take what's yours, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, and they said, well, we want kings anyway. Well, there you go. This is what happens, because when you give men too much power in their imperfect state, they imperfectly wield that power and create disaster, This is exactly what's happening here. So Jezebel said, I'm going to get that land. Now, she's not just going to go out there and murder uh, Naboth because that would be too obvious. So she creates a scheme. Now, again, remember, submission, uh, submission lesson number six is submission's power will, as we employ it, produce a dramatic contrast with those who ignore it. These are those who ignore it. Remember the power of submission of Elijah in doing the will of God and only the will of God. So here is the plot
1: that Jezebel unhatches. 1 Kings
2: 21, 8-16.
1: So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men before him, and let them testify against him, saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So,
2: Jonathan, you can't even begin to describe the the, the wrong and the darkness and the evil in this.
1: What treachery.
2: It is, and that's I think maybe that's the best word for it. It's treachery. She writes the letters in Ahab's name. She uses his seal, so she's pretending to be the king, and she sets up this trap for this innocent man who simply wants to hold on to the inheritance of his fathers and has every right to. And she's going to have this, this, this feast open up, and people before him, and they're going to accuse him, and it's going to cause a ruckus, and now they can stone him, and it looks like it was all justified. So what happens?
1: So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it is written in the letters which he had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones."
2: So you have the utter tragedy, the utter utter lack of respect for the life of somebody who by all accounts was a righteous individual. You hadn't done a thing wrong, but just happened to be in the way of the whim of an idolatrous king. And if this isn't a lesson of contrast from submission's power, I don't know what is. The, the, The wielding of power to frame and to kill an innocent man, so you can get what you want. Is is it's it is completely beyond where Elijah was. So it's a very very powerful lesson here. And so now what happens? Now Naboth is actually dead. They they fulfill this conspiracy. Then what happens?
1: Then they sent word to Jezebel saying Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came about when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead. That Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came about that Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, and Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. So there you have
2: it. And Ahab doesn't ask, well, how did he die? He just no, says, he
1: didn't.
2: <laughs> he says, okay, I'm going to go get what I want. Oh, good. Yeah. I get my garden. Yeah. And and so again, the power of submission is in great contrast to what this story teaches us because it teaches us when you are set in those egotistical, dark and evil ways, you get you you seek to get what you want. The power of submission seeks to do what God wills. Not seeks to get what we want, but seeks to do what what God wills. There's a world of difference between the two. For Elijah, he had to understand that the great courage that he had displayed earlier in his life served a purpose, and that was an introductory uh, statement by God to be followed by several others. So the stark contrast of submission to God's ways with the reality of King Ahab and Jezebel are, are obviously obvious. We need to remember that God's timing is always different than ours. Be submissive and wait for it. And I think that's one of the important lessons. That's what Ahab and Jezebel could not and would not do. That's what Elijah was taught to do. He was taught to wait for it. He was taught to be quiet, to wait to be able to tell God what was on his mind, what was bothering him, so that God could, once Elijah spilled out his heart, could show him, first of all, you're not alone. And secondly, I have plans for you that you have no idea of. Just follow where and what it is that I am going to be showing you. So folks, we've started to walk through the life of Elijah. There's so much more to come. There's more miracles coming. There's more power. There's great power in submission. And then, of course, there's submission that turns to courage. How does it do that? Stay tuned for the second hour. So until then, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, the power of submission is waiting if you're willing to use it. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you think about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to bringing you new programs each and every week.
0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website christianquestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
2: Miguel de Cervantes Savandra once said, It is one thing to praise discipline, and another to submit to it. Good evening, welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, tonight's topic is a powerful topic, even though it's all about submission.
1: So what is the topic, and what are we talking about, and where are we? All right, well, Rick, uh, Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. Our theme text, 1 Kings 19.12, And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And
2: the, one of the great lessons of Elijah's life had to be to realize that God was in the quietness of God's will, not in the ruckus that seemed to surround it. And after the great courageous activities of the earlier part of Elijah's life, he had a hard time getting his arms around that.
1: Speaking of ruckus, we're having a ruckus problem with the phones. <laughs> yes, we are. So uh, we're going to suggest that people message us from their app so that we can get your comments in on this subject.
2: Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the phones tonight, but uh, they don't seem to be working. We, we cut Julius off twice. And honest, we didn't mean
1: it. <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> so, um,
2: All right, so Jonathan, let's just do a quick uh, review from the, the, the first hour. We had uh, six different submission lessons in the first hour. What was the first one?
1: Submission's power may be an unseen necessity when we have an emotional and pressing need for an answer to a question. Why? So, a lot of times we need the power of submission, but we don't
2: even know it. We're just like, "Well, why? How come this happened? It shouldn't happen this way. I know it shouldn't happen this way. I did everything I was supposed to, and it shouldn't happen this way." Shh. Let the power of submission show you the way. What's the second lesson? Power,
1: uh, submission's power may become apparent when our self-doubt overrides our spiritual confidence. When we are so sure of what the result was supposed to be,
2: and things don't happen the way we thought they would, our self-doubt can easily override our spiritual confidence. That's what happened to Elijah, and he was ready to die because he was so depressed by this. What's next?
1: Submission's power can begin to guide us when we are ready to fully express our need for an answer to our why, which so confounds us. So it can begin, submission's power can finally
2: begin to guide us when we're ready to tell God what our issue is. And sometimes that takes some time. It certainly does. Maybe 36 extra days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> 40 days of, of fasting and praying and, and wandering around and then finally getting to a point of being able to just to, to tell God what was on his mind. What's the fourth submission lesson?
1: Submission's power is evidenced when once we have spoken our need, We can hear the quietness of God's answer and his direction for our future.
2: God's answer almost always comes in quietness, in stillness, and we need to get our arms around that. It's rarely in the fanfare of things, and that's something Elijah, because Elijah was used to the fanfare. He was used to fire from heaven and all of these big things, but no, that's not where you can get God's truest direction. And he, he needs to see that evidence of God's still, quiet stillness.
1: The fifth lesson. Submission's power gains strength when we realize that the personal perceptions we focused upon did not reflect the bigness of God's reality. Our perceptions kill
2: submission all the time. Because we think we know. And when our perceptions cut short the glory of God, we're surprised. Because oftentimes, God's glory isn't revealed in the way and in the timing that we'd like it to be. So we've got to learn to let go.
1: But it's so much bigger and better when it is God's way.
2: It just takes more time. (laughs) Right, exactly. That's so difficult.
1: And the sixth lesson of submission's power was what? Submission's power will, as we employ it, produces a dramatic contrast with those who ignore it.
2: So, and we saw that in the last segment of the first hour where Ahab and Jezebel were showing the contrast, showing the egotistical evil of what they want and just getting what they want because they could versus submissively following the will of God and finally learning to be courageous once again. So uh, let's go back to Eric Rainey before we get back to the story of Elijah. Eric Rainey in his TED Talk, um, and it's, it's called Building Integrity, Keeping Promises, This is another great story, and this is something that actually happened to him in terms of his own life and own experience. You're gonna love this one.
3: I've had to be reminded many times throughout my life. I used to be an extra in the movie industry, and one day, my agent phoned me up and he said, Eric, I've got this job for you, you're perfect for it. He used to say that about every job he ever gave me. The trouble was, this job came on a Saturday, a day I had promised my son, Noah, that I would attend his gymnastics competition. I knew how important it was to him to have his daddy there, but I took the job anyway. Saturday morning came along, and I found myself on the set of a Hollywood blockbuster called Spy Games. They dressed me as a CIA agent, complete with briefcase, brown trench coat, and a mobile phone. There were three other extras dressed as agents, and then we were joined by another gentleman, Robert Redford. The second assistant said, it's real easy, guys. All you have to do is follow Robert down the corridor. Cameras started to roll, and it was go Robert, go Mark, go John, go Stephen, go Eric. We walked down the corridor, cool as cucumbers. Cut. First take was in the can.
2: Sounding good. You get to oh, yeah. get to be an extra in a movie with Robert Redford. And wow. you go and you're like, hey, and I you know, and I get to walk with the guy. And, and you know, for somebody who's a, who's who's a movie extra, I imagine that's like this is big. This is I've arrived in, in this in this situation. Here I am, I'm playing right next to one of the great movie stars of all time. Well, what happened? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> because the story is going to unfold in a very particular way, and it really is very, very fascinating. And again, it's about integrity, and submission is about integrity. To submit to the will of God is to submit to something bigger than you, and it requires integrity to say you will and then to do it. So 1 Kings 21—oh, I'm sorry, well, it's submission lesson number seven. I can't. We can't do the scripture until we do the lesson.
1: Submission's power, once engaged, provokes— and sustains courage courage comes back to the main frame picture here
2: because submission and courage are truly inseparable once we understand the two of them clearly so first kings 21 17 to 29 let's see how in elijah's life submission's power once it was engaged provokes and sustained his courage
1: Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dog shall lick up your blood, even yours. So
2: Elijah is now called upon to do something very, very courageous.
1: Go to his enemy again.
2: Again. Now remember the last time they had all these interchanges over a period of three years, and you remember how it ended up. Elijah was running for his life after showing God is sovereign. Uh, so he is told to go directly to King Ahab and to confront him on the murder of that innocent man, there's no, there's no half measures here. There's no, um, you know, you send a messenger ahead telling him you're coming. Tell him God's angry. There's none of that. They're saying, go and say, "Thus says the Lord: Have you murdered and also taken possession?" In other words, what have you done? How low have you gone? How far away from God? Do you live? I mean, it's going directly at the king. And remember, this is the king. This is the most powerful man in Israel. And Elijah.
1: And you know his wife. She yeah. doesn't
2: like him much. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so this is what he's told to do. And the prophecy is, you will die. This is what he's going to say to Ahab. And, and this is gross. The dogs will look up your blood. In the same place, they licked up the blood of Naboth. and That's gross. I'm sorry, folks, but that's what the scripture says. And it's very specific about God's judgment for continued idolatry. So, years of submission and trust have brought Elijah to similar ground as during the drought. Remember, same kind of thing happened. He was out of commission for a while, it seemed, and now he's brought back, and he's brought to the forefront. He's now courageous, clear, and constant in delivering God's messages so Elijah goes right up to Ahab this is where the power of submission brings courage he doesn't think about it he doesn't work away work his way around he just goes right up to Ahab and here's what happens
1: and Ahab said to Elijah have you found me oh my enemy and he answered I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil In the sight of the Lord. So, okay.
2: Have you found me, O my
1: enemy? This is what Ahab says. Oh, yes, I found
2: you, Elijah says. And he doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, yeah, hey, how you doing, by the way? He says, I have found you. You have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, look, that's courage. That is. Brought about by submission. It's submitting to the will of God and fearlessly provoking uh, or, or performing, rather, the will of God. Go ahead, verse 21.
1: Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, like the house of Baasha, because of the provocation with which you provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. So... Elijah is clear
2: and courageous and submissive all at the same time. And this, Jonathan, this is a, this is a classic example of how submission can be um, a, a tool to find real, true, deep courage. Now, here's the thing. You know, you got you to gotta ask yourself, okay, well, what if somebody doesn't believe in God? You know, what are they submissive to? yeah and that's generally not a good thing no if you don't have a higher purpose something that's driven by integrity and righteousness then whatever you submit to is probably not going to bring you anything good and that that's why this is such an important lesson for we us as christians because we need to realize that god is the god of our lives now look he allows satan to be the god of this world but god does not allow satan to be the god of our lives We can choose to let Satan be the God of our lives, or we can choose to allow God to be sovereign in our lives. If we choose to let God be sovereign in our lives, then submission to his will will bring courage to fulfill his will. That's exactly what happened here with Elijah. So he tells Ahab bluntly that his his house is going to be broken in pieces, and he is going to die, and it's not going to go well any 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 way whatsoever and so has anything changed here no (laughs) (laughs) Um, ahab has seen the hand of god many times before this and he still refuses to submit Uh, and elijah who is fully submitted to god's hand is again in control so you got the most powerful man in israel who is now a puppet in the hands of elijah He's powerless against Elijah. Why? Because Elijah's strength, wisdom, words, and actions all come from God because Elijah's willing to submit to whatever it is God is telling him he has to do. Nothing has changed. It's the same scene that it was several years before. So you look at this and say, okay, well, if nothing has changed, then look, just get rid of Ahab altogether. Let's see what happens next. And, and, and folks, Let's give you a gross alert for the next scripture reading, (laughs) because this is definitely gross, okay? So just letting you know. A gross alert for this next reading, Jonathan, go ahead.
1: And this is Elijah speaking. And if Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven shall eat. Okay,
2: so... Elijah is specifically prophesying the breaking apart of the house of Ahab. Specifically, dynamically, clearly prophesying. Again, this is great courage that came through great submission. Go ahead.
1: Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife incited him, and he acted very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel.
2: So Elijah is wrapping up his prophecy with great detail, focused on the man he's speaking to, as the one who he says, There has been no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of God. And Ahab had time after time after time in which he could have repented of that evil. He saw the power of God. He saw the will of God. He saw the ways of God. But he continued to stay with the darkness that that he had chosen, because of largely because of his wife.
1: We'd love to hear from you right now. Leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com or use your app on your smartphone and uh, send us a message.
2: Yeah, we're having a little bit of phone problem here tonight, so we don't want to try to take a call and then cut you off. That would not be pleasant. So Elijah finishes his prophecy with graphic detail, and Ahab finally, something clicks in Ahab's head, and he finally begins to open his eyes a little bit. So, so now this is interesting. Uh, we are in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21,
1: verses 27 to 29. And it came about when Ahab heard these words, then he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, And fasted, and he lay in sackcloth, and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his sons' days.
2: So it's really fascinating, and it's almost shocking, because Ahab has been such an example of such rampant evil, but he turns at this point, and he is sorry at this point, and he fasts, and he prays to God, and God's responses to Elijah, have you seen how Ahab has changed his attitude? He's there, Still evil evil is going to come upon his house. He's still going to die. His wife's still going to die, but I won't bring all of the calamities upon him right here and now. I'll wait a bit. They will still come. And, you know, it gives you a sense of God uh, being merciful.
1: It sure does, Rick.
2: God being long-suffering, God being willing to give the benefit of the doubt where none of us would think there is any, any reason to.
1: You're right, you're and right.
2: And so even in this harsh time of life and death and all of those things, you see the goodness of God coming out in his willingness to give Ahab a little bit of space here. So now here's what happens. Three years pass. Three years. We're going to talk about that next segment. 1 Kings 22 is, is the chapter we're not going to be able to discuss because of time. Ahab was again going to war. He was again disregarding the advice of one of God's prophets. So as much as he was repentant, it seemed to wear off. And even though he disguised himself in battle, he ended up being killed anyway. So now what do you do? Now you actually have the situation where the king has died. So what's going to happen next?
1: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. Coming up, so does Israel finally turn back to God now that Ahab is gone? That's next.
0: are listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation. Send us a message on your app or email us at ChristianQuestions.com. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com.
2: Jonathan, one of the things we haven't actually said but we've alluded to a lot is that submission brings great accountability. And if we are accountable to God Almighty, then our submission can be tracked by God Almighty. Without the accountability of submission, we will always fail. Because humankind needs something bigger than themselves to guide themselves. Look at today's world, and you see that we are completely lost when it comes to the ability to guide ourselves. Absolutely right. Completely lost. Did I mention that we're completely lost? I think you did maybe a few times. (laughs) Okay. Well, I just want to make sure we understand. We are completely lost without godly principles in our lives. The accountability of submission is critical in our lives. So now Ahab died. God had given Ahab the blessing of time to come back to him. He gave him how many years? Three. Three years. Three is that full season of testing. He'd given opportunity to turn his life, and he didn't. So God fulfills Elijah's words. Now Ahab's son is now going to live to to see the power of God through Elijah after Ahab is now dead. So it's going to continue. And Elijah's submission grows, and his courage grows, and the power of Ahab's kingdom is going to shrink and fall apart before our very eyes as we go through this now. Before we get back to that though, Jonathan, let's go back to Eric Rainey, Building Integrity, Keeping Promises. And remember the uh, the last soundbite, he was an extra in a movie starring Robert Redford. That's right. But he took the part on a Saturday when he was supposed to go to his son's, gymnast, his son's gymnastic uh, competition. So he promised his son, but he took this job anyway. So he's on the job, and he just said, First take is in the can. In other words, we got it. We're, we're, we're playing the part. I've got all my props, and I'm playing the part. Let's hear what happens next.
3: Now, I don't know if you know this, but it takes a really reset on these big budget movies. I got really bored, so I started pushing the buttons on my prop phone. It came on. It wasn't a prop at all. I thought, who can I phone and impress with my newfound friendship with Robert Redford? I thought, I'll call Noah. He's probably still at home. He hasn't left for the gymnastics comp yet. Noah, you'll never guess who I'm working with today. Robert Redford. He said, who's he? (laughs) I was left with Generation Gap Egg all over my face. Just then, the assistant came up and he took the phone from me and he hands it to Robert, saying the director wanted Robert to be on the phone for the next take. The camera started to roll and it was go, go, go. We walked down the corridor. The phone in Robert's hand started to ring. My son had dialed last number redial, trying to call me back.
2: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, this can only be trouble. (laughs) (laughs) oops (laughs) <laughs> oops <laughs> but again jonathan it's about integrity and submission and integrity are inexorably linked you cannot have one without the other because integrity requires submission to something higher than we might want or desire or feel and for this man in his personal experience he should have a lived up to his promise to his son he went to take this job which was a really cool job working with robert redford on a movie and now it sounds like his son is actually calling robert redford while they're (laughs) filming okay so we'll come back to that in a little bit see what happens it's an incredible lesson so let, let's now refocus back on the, on the story uh, of Elijah. Submission lesson number eight. Now, as, as we go through these lessons, you see how submission, the power of submission becomes more and more active. You know, first you're kind of observing it and feeling it and saying, okay, maybe it can begin to work, and then you're letting it work, and now it's growing in you. And, and so now what happens? Submission's lesson number eight.
1: Submission's power, once personally absorbed, not only sustains courage, It becomes a conduit for the power of God to flow through in a mighty way.
2: So once we really master the art of being submissive to the will of God, a whole different kind of thing starts to happen. And that whole different kind of thing is it absorbs into the way we think. And that's what happened with Elijah. He is now completely absorbed in submission to the will of God. You notice he's not depressed. He's not worried anymore. He just does what God tells him to do without thought because he knows that's the direction he needs to go. So he has grown incredibly from that time where he's uh, sitting under that juniper tree wishing to die because he has seen God's hand in his life. He's seen God's hand in in, in the nation of Israel, and he says, I'm supposed to play a role. And I don't know. I don't know how it's going to end. All I know is I have a job to do. That... Is godly submission. So now we're we're Ahab is gone; he's off the scene. Second Kings one one to four. We're going to meet Ahab's son
1: Ahaziah. A new, uh, now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab, and Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, and became ill. So he sent messengers and said to them, "Go inquire of Baal Zabub, the god of Ekron, which." Whether I should recover from the sickness. Okay, so here you have
2: the son of Ahab acting just like Ahab. Surprise! (laughs) Like father, like son. Yeah, and and that's a big lesson for us, those of us who are parents, is we have to make sure we are giving our children examples of godly submission rather than egotism. And he's saying, well, okay, I'm injured. I'm injured badly. Go inquire of Beelzebub, okay? Go inquire of all of this, this evil stuff that Elijah already proclaimed as dead, it, whether I'm going to recover. So God is watching. This is now king of Israel. What does God say? What does God say through an angel to, to Elijah?
1: But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then Elijah departed. So the angel tells Elijah what to do. He goes and does what he's supposed to do,
2: and then he walks away. And so he is told the messengers of the king that, why are you doing this? Why are you going to this idolatry when there is God in Israel? and if you want to get a real answer, get an answer from God. Oh, and incidentally, I have the answer for you. No, you're not going to make it.
1: Wasn't it proven that Baal had no strength, was not a true God? Didn't Elijah prove that through fire in 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 you know, consuming the sacrifice and the rocks and the sand and everything else? I. I Wasn't it proven? Last time I checked. Baal's silent. (laughs) He he doesn't say a thing. That's
2: right. And and, and you're right. There was no power, and the prophets of Baal were destroyed that very day. But how short our memories are when we are full of ego, when we are full of our own desires, and when we do not have godly submission. So there is a thorough ingraining of submission to God's will, and that brings swift and complete action. Elijah is showing us how quickly, how easily now— he is accomplishing the will of God. There, He just is because submission has sunk in over all of these years, and he gets it. And he doesn't need to know what the end result is. All he needs to know is, this is my job. What a great lesson for us. What's next? 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 to 8.
1: When the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So these messengers come back a whole lot too soon.
2: And, uh, and uh, Isaiah says to them, you know, what are you here for? How come you're back so soon? And they say, look, a man met us in the way, and this is what he told us. You know, there is a God in Israel, and by the way, that God says you're going to die. Now, you can imagine that the king, that's not the message you wanted to hear. And they didn't go to the place that he told them. So his ego says, how come they didn't listen to me? So now what's his response?
1: And Isaiah said to them, What kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke those words to you? And they answered him, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound around his loins, and he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. So he knows. Uh, Apparently, Elijah must have had a very distinct look about him. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and you sort of imagine him looking maybe a little bit uh, wild and unkept, perhaps. I mean, straggly hair, I don't know, big, powerful man.
1: I bet they'd recognize him from his mantle, that outer sure. robe that he wore. Everyone pr- could probably see that from a mile away. Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, there he is. <laughs> and, and, you know, so he had this this presence about him that was not only physical, but it was also spiritual, because he was represented the will and the way of God. And it seemed to be—now I'm being sarcastic—that it seemed like wherever Elijah showed up and said something, it always happened. And, yeah. and so—, so he had this, this ability. And you know, his, his look, when they say he was a hairy man and he wore the leather girdle around his loins, you know who that reminds me of?
1: John the Baptist. It does. It, it reminds me of the same thing.
2: And in Elijah Part 3, when we talk about the legacy of Elijah, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about John the Baptist because he is representative of Elijah's greatest legacy. So you have a great similarity in those two prophets, and we're going to draw that uh, in a couple of weeks when we get to the third part. So Isaiah uh, recognizes that Elijah is now meddling in his affairs, and he doesn't like it so much. So now we're going to see the kingly contrast to submission, and that is arrogance. Having no need to acknowledge true power and hiding behind their own perceived power. That's what kings do. As long as an idolatrous attitude prevails, godly submission has no room to grow. Now, let me, let me say that again. As long as an idolatrous attitude prevails, godly submission has no room to grow. We cannot find our center if we have that idolatrous attitude.
1: We'd love to hear from you right now. You could uh, message us on your app, um, or you can email us at christianquestions.com. So the lesson
2: is about, again, the contrast of submission, godly submission to the ego of men, and now we're seeing godly submission absorbed in the life and times of Elijah. He has—I don't think that, Jonathan, he's got much of anything left except submitting to the will of God at this point.
1: You're right, you're right.
2: So whatever is going to happen, he will be unshakable at this point. So now the the king, because he's so egotistical, his next steps are going to bring disaster. What happens next? 2 Kings uh, 1, verses 9 to 16.
1: Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50, and he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Okay, so let, that's a... Geez. Talk about walking into, into something that's bigger
2: than you are. So, so this captain with his battalion of 50 men, they go looking for Elijah. Now look, if you're one guy and 50 soldiers are coming to find you and they point, and they point to you and say, Oh, man of God... You know, they're trying to be respectful, to get his attention, and say, come on down. The king wants to see you. It's all good. Most people would be intimidated. You're right. There's 50 soldiers. They're armed. They're dangerous. Elijah simply says, oh, well, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 soldiers. And you think, what an odd thing to say. I mean... Where do you get that from? Well, he got that because God obviously put the thought in his mind. Then what happens?
1: Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So the king again sent to him another captain of 50 and his 50. So you'd think you'd learn the lesson.
2: I don't know, just saying. You'd think that after God, in the previous experience way back consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the stones and the sand with fire from heaven. You'd think that would have been stuck in your mind and that would have reminded you of, oh, God's at it again. We should not be defying God Almighty. And you think, you know, this is awfully harsh. And it is, because this is in the days of the law of Israel. This is in the days long before Jesus, where it was a matter of establishing God's sovereignty his power, and if you were in his nation, it was to live by his rules. And it was a very much a life and death environment. You, you can't get away from that. So the king sends another uh, group of 50 men, another group of 50 soldiers. Okay, I'll send my, um, the next group there, surely, to be more intimidating. And I think, Jonathan, the lesson here is the longer you go without the growth of godly submission, the greater the cost to all of those around you. You see, our lack of godly submission not only hurts us but it hurts those around us and for the king he sent these men to their death he had, he knew what happened to the previous group so he sent another group to their death where there is humility there can be grace so the second group of 50 perishes
1: the same way the first did
2: the same way the first, same kind of conversation same yep. result so, what happens? The king's not done. Well, I'll send another group. I mean, I don't know. Does he think God's going to run out of fire? I, I don't understand. You know, it's like, what is he thinking? And if the, the, the answer is, he's not thinking, he's being egotistical. What happens with this third group?
1: When the third captain of 50 went up, he came and bowed down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, O oh, man of God, Please let my life and the lives of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of fifty and their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. So this
2: leader of this third group of fifty kneels before Elijah and says, "Not." he's asking for mercy, but he says, Let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours. Wasn't that interesting? Be precious in your sight. He put himself at the service of Elijah because he recognized this was a power far bigger than the king.
1: Exactly. What's next? And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. All right. So the angel responds and says, it's okay.
2: Go with him. Because... He submitted himself to the, to, the, to the messenger of God, and God recognizes that. He looks upon that with grace and gives opportunity. Now, Elijah, we can assume, is now being protected by the 50 who came to trap him.
1: And, and Rick, the number three pops up again.
2: The third, you're right, again, again. So it's, it's the full experience, and in the full experience, you can learn humility and godly submission. You notice that this captain had godly submission before Elijah. Yes. And that's just a powerful tool. So what happens?
1: So we arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but shall surely die.
2: So now Elijah gets to give the message directly to Uzziah, and he is brought there by Uzziah's own soldiers, who are now protecting Elijah because they know better than not to.
1: <laughs> For sure.
2: and And Elijah doesn't mince words, he doesn't get poetic, he doesn't do anything but Present the message of God. He says exactly what he's supposed to say. He is the picture of submissive courage. He is the absolute picture. If you look at submissive courage in the, courage in, in the dictionary, you're going to see a picture of Elijah, that hairy guy with the belt, okay, <laughs> and the mantle. And and he and in, in delivering this message, it is obvious it is from God. And what happens? The king dies. This is the power of submission at work in a way that is unusual, that is different, and that is utterly powerful because submission can actually bring us courage. And if we can get that thought into our heads, our lives can change.
1: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. Coming up, what effect can our godly submission have on those around us? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 2, The Power of Submission. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by messaging us on your app. The conversation continues online at christianquestions.com. Contact us there with your questions and comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook. Tweet us at CQNET Radio. And we're now on Instagram.
2: So lots of ways to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and your, your comments, your thoughts, your questions, your agreements and your disagreements, all of them play very well for us because it helps us to understand what you're thinking and helps us to, to think about future subject matter and so forth. So really, your input is very vital to our podcast. And we definitely appreciate uh, the input that you give us. Please continue to do so. So, Jonathan, we're, we're in our final segment and what we're f- seeing is Elijah is completely absorbed in submitting to the will of God. He just does whatever it is. There's not any question. There's not any wondering. It's a matter of, it doesn't ma- And here's the key. Elijah's thinking, I believe, is it doesn't matter what the end result is. What matters is, is I submit and do exactly what God tells me and would have me to do. All else is out of my hands. The power of that brings incredible courage. And we've seen the courage rise up in Elijah in a very strong way once again. So now this brings us to our, uh, our ninth submission lesson. What is
1: that? Submissions, power, and courage attract fierce loyalty.
2: You notice we added something there. Submissions, power, and courage. What happens when you have the submissions, power, and courage working with you? it attracts incredible loyalty of others to you because you are driven by a cause that is so much bigger than you are.
1: And Rick, that reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. The power of trusting in the Lord and the amount of churches that were converted, individuals that just, just clung to every word he said.
2: And, and you know, there there are... Uh, some wonderful examples in Scripture of that type of of that type of attractive power, which is in contrast to the attractive power of many churches today that attract people to the stuff and to the things and to the glitz and to the glitter and to the glamour and to the noise and into the music and into the emotionalism. That's not what Christianity is. No, it's not. We want to have that submissive power and courage and attract fierce loyalty to God. Because we can be examples of that. So now Elijah is being ready to be taken away. Okay? Elisha, we mentioned Elisha back in the second segment of the podcast, and he's probably he's been following Elijah around all this time. Okay, very quietly. Elijah's still doing all the work. Elisha, though, is now in need of testing. He needs to walk the path that Elijah walked because he is going to take the mantles pretty soon. So in, just let me, let me pause for a second, Jonathan. In the life of Elijah, there are loads of prophetic, prophetically symbolic events that happen. In many of the things that we have talked about, there's a lot of prophetic symbolism that we did not get into because we're focusing on him as an individual. We're going to look at some potential symbolism. We're going to make a suggestion here that perhaps some of what's about to happen has a very specific meaning among others— in terms of the handing off of the, uh, the, the baton of being the prophet to Israel from Elijah to Elisha. So we're going to suggest that this handing off would be illustrated in the stopping places that's going to happen, because they begin in Gilgal. Now, Gilgal means, I have rolled away the reproach. And you can find that in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. That's what it says. The place was named Gilgal because he has rolled away the reproach. And that's really what Elisha was sent, Elijah was sent to do. He was sent to take the reproach that was upon Israel, take the, 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 the guilt that was upon Israel for the sin of idolatry, and he was, he was sent to roll it back. He was sent to say, this isn't the way you need to act anymore. Act differently. So that's where they're starting. And here's what happens. And again, there's going to be three, again, three stopping places once they leave Gilgal. And each one, I think, is going to represent another step for Elisha to learn about the mission of Elijah.
1: 2 Kings 2, verses 1 through 6. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha stay here please for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel but Elisha said as the Lord lives and as you yourself live I will not leave you so they went down to Bethel
2: so it's interesting because Elijah is being directed and he says the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel now the Lord was gonna send him several other places and that kind of leads us to, to realize that maybe God would just reveal one small step at a time for Elijah And he would take that step without any equivocation, without any second thought. He'd just take that step. So he says to Elisha, here, stay here. The Lord has called me to go to Bethel. Elisha's response is beautiful. He says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He is so dedicated to helping Elijah with whatever the work of God is. That he cannot see any reason to leave his side. That is that's,
1: that is dedication. That is that fierce loyalty
2: that submission's power and courage can attract. So wh- what does Bethel
1: mean? Well, Rick, it means house of God.
2: And Bethel was, what, that place, what was that, why was that place named Bethel? What happened there? Isn't that the place that
1: Jacob's ladder stood?
2: Yes, that's the place where Jacob had that vision. So... Elijah, remember, uh, uh, Gilgal meant, um, I have rolled away the reproach. Elijah had rolled away Israel's reproach, and he had brought them back to God to worship, Jacob's ladder. Brought them to a way to to get to God again by rolling away the reproach.
1: For me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
2: Right. So he's bringing them in, he's bringing Elisha on this journey that summarizes... What he was sent to do take away the reproach of Israel bring them back to a place that they can worship God
1: they stay there for a short time what happens then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to him do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today and he said yes I know be still and Elijah said to him Elisha please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho but he said as the Lord lives, and as you live, your yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So
2: now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel come and they give the message, and they're talking to Elisha. You know, he's going to go away. And, and Elisha's response is, shh, you don't have to talk about it. I don't want to hear it.
1: <laughs> Be still. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And so Elijah's response is, again, the Lord is now sending me to Jericho. Why don't you stay here? But what's Elisha's response
1: to that? As the Lord lives and as you live, I'm coming with you.
2: I will not be parted from you because you represent submission and courage in the will of God, and I want to support
1: that. And Rick, the next place is Jericho, and the word Jericho means moon. Okay, now the moon in Scripture is a symbol of the law
2: covenant, which was the only way to truly worship God in those days. So perhaps what Elisha is beginning to see is that Elijah's mission was to roll away the reproach of the Lord, to bring the people to a place where they could worship the Lord, and now bring them to the method by which they could worship the Lord, and that was the law covenant. Again, so we can see this progress, and Elisha is learning what the mission of Elijah was all about. What happens next?
1: and the sons of the prophets who were at jericho approached elisha and said to him do you know that the lord will take away your master from over you today and he answered yes i know be still then elijah said to him please stay here for the lord has sent me to the jordan and he said as the lord lives and as you yourself live i will not leave you so the two of them went on
2: so now a couple of observations here jonathan first of all the sons of the prophets seem to be just like coming out of the woodwork all of a sudden. You're right. And remember, That's interesting. It wasn't too long ago, remember, where Elijah thought, I'm all alone. Yeah, no one's here with me. Yeah, not so. You're, now you're seeing godly men showing up all over the place and communicating with one another. Why? Ahab is gone. Ahab's son is gone. And Jezebel, and she's been eaten by dogs. So the fear of death is gone away and now they're able to come out again and what God had said was true. There are 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal and now we're starting to meet some of those. And you can see that, you know, for Elijah, who knows how many of these he had 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 contact with beforehand. But the interesting thing is now he's seeing them and it's a reminder that, yeah, God told me about you already. Yeah, I know. That's neat. And the other thing is, Yeah, there was a time when I wouldn't have believed this could be true. But now I can see that in God's time, in God's way, if I submit to the will of God and have patience with his timing, then all things will come together in a way that makes sense. What a great lesson in learning how to follow the will of God.
1: So, Well, God's leading them to the Jordan and the J- word Jordan means descender.
2: Okay. Now, the Jordan River is kind of an interesting river because it's a river that has no outlet. Okay. This, this water flows into the Jordan. The, river of the, 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 the water of the river Jordan flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, the water doesn't go anywhere because it's dead. And so you have this incredible—isn't it's, it's, it like one of the lowest places on Earth? below sea level it really
1: is and the content of salt is unbelievable yeah
2: yeah it's incredibly incredibly high so the descender can be seen to typify the downward course of humanity towards certain death in the dead sea because the dead sea obviously represents death nothing can live there to cross the jordan is a symbol of being delivered in scripture so elisha had to see the deliverance at the end of elijah's journey So he had to see that Elijah had been sent to roll away the reproach of Israel, that he had been sent to next bring them to a place where they could worship God, that he next would bring them to a method by which they could worship God, the law. And now he had to see that Elijah's work was done and his deliverance was right before them. So it's kind of an interesting thing to look at those, those, those places and see, okay, maybe they are the steps of Elijah's life that Elisha needs to learn from so he can be encouraged because he's about to take on an incredible responsibility. So, Jonathan, before we continue, remember the story about the guy who made a promise to his son to be at his gymnastic competition but, That's right. But took a role in a in a movie as an extra, and it was a big blockbuster movie starring Robert Redford. And in the scene, he's walking with Robert Redford in a hallway, and his his phone his his prop cell phone. That he thought was just a prop. He was playing with it. He ends up calling his son to tell him, "Hey, I'm working with Robert Redford here. You know, it's pretty cool." But then they and his
1: son didn't know him at all. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) like who?
2: (laughs) And, And and so they take the phone because they want Redford to be on the phone in the scene. So now the scene opens up and they're shooting the scene, and Redford has the phone that he just had and he had just called his son. So now again, this is a lesson in integrity. Let's see what happens uh, as, as this part of the story winds up.
3: Now, I'm told that in road traffic accidents, people see events unfold in slow motion. That's exactly what happened to me as I went, Don't answer the phone, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Too late, he answered. Hello? Dad? Dad? No, who is this? Noah, who's this? Robert, what's your dad's name? Eric. Eric, Eric, Robert Redford's holding the phone up, shouting my name. The cameras are still rolling and men start running in every direction. And out of the chaos, I see him turn and come towards me to have a few choice words. He says, Eric, what's your son doing calling you in the middle of a movie shoot? I explained to him how I had promised my son I would do this, attend his uh, gymnastics competition, but that my agent had phoned me with this amazing job that I was perfect for. Robert leant forward and he said, Eric, I know a movie that's being cast right now. You are perfect for it. It's called Being a Responsible Father. And there's a little boy at home who needs to see Sometimes it takes an adult. remind us how to flick the switch of integrity and let our light shine
2: what a what a lesson what an incredible lesson and you know the, the the point is made he did not keep a promise and he was forcibly reminded that that promise should have superseded his other decisions that's right submission is keeping a promise to do the will of god his way even if we don't like it or don't want it or don't see the end result.
1: Or it costs you something.
2: Yes, very much so if, if it costs you something. So what a very, very powerful lesson. A little kind of humorous. It's humorous if you're not Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but it does remind us of, of the things that are important. Okay, so Jonathan, submission lesson number 10.
1: Submissions, power, and courage generate a true legacy
2: and that's kind of an introduction for next our next part three of Elijah coming up in a couple weeks next Elijah uses his mantle to part the Jordan River and he and Elisha cross over the river 2nd
1: Kings 2 9 to 14 now it came about when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you and Elisha said please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me and he said to him you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So Elisha is so thoroughly focused on being able
2: to carry the mantle of responsibility that he was being uh, that he was be- being directly given. Thus, he's asking for a double portion of what would have been like a firstborn son's inheritance. So it's not, I don't, I want, it's not, he's not saying, I want twice as much as you have. I want a double portion. I want to be your firstborn, essentially, in terms of fulfilling the will of God. That's what he's asking for.
1: What's next? Then it came about as they were going along and talking, and behold, there approached a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. So now the legacy of courage for
2: submission to God's will was entirely in Elisha's hands. It had made the transfer because he had seen what Elijah said. If you see it, you will be granted that blessing.
1: Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over.
2: So now he is given this mantle of great power, and he's able to use this mantle of great power in the same way that Elijah had. So he knows that he is blessed of God now, and he knows that he carries this great responsibility that Elijah showed him. He knows he bears the legacy of the great powerful submissive courageous prophet of god who goes by the name of elijah
1: the torch was passed rick
2: it absolutely was and in our part three of the elijah series of the power series we're going to be looking at this legacy of elijah not necessarily through elisha but through the prophetic fulfillments down through the ages and the power of standing in the place that elijah stood what does it mean we'll be back Uh, in a few weeks with that. So folks, we hope you enjoyed being with us tonight and to learn with us the lessons of the power of submission. We'll be back again next week with another subject, but till then, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, submission, godly submission, is godly courage. Till next week. Think about it.